Good morning. In today's headlines, Dr. Oz and John Fetterman are competing for a Senate seat in a race that could help determine which party controls the chamber. We have the highlights from yesterday's highly anticipated debate in Pennsylvania. Shots fired as Zeldin and Hochul square off in a heated debate to determine who sits in the governor's chair. Polls show a narrowing gap as Zeldin hammers away at public safety concerns. New York Supreme Court strikes down New York City's COVID vaccine mandate. Find out what the judge had to say in his ruling. Police in Australia arrested a former U.S. military pilot. The arrest follows warnings in the U.K. about pilots working with China, raising national security concerns. And a small intruder stealing vegetables from a man's garden. What he did after will warm your heart. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning. I'm Evelyn Lee. It's Wednesday today, October 26th. And we want to start with the highly anticipated contest between Senate candidates from Pennsylvania that took place last night. Dr. Mehmet Oz took on his opponent, John Fetterman, in, in an hour-long debate. The race could help determine which party controls the Senate and even have implications on the 2024 presidential election. The two candidates clashed over issues like abortion, the economy, and illegal immigration. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more. Your political experience includes... Oz and Fetterman wasted no time on Tuesday attacking each other over hot-button issues. John Fetterman takes everything to an extreme, and those extreme positions hurt us all. Oz stuck to scrutinizing Fetterman's policies and did not address his health. These radical positions extend beyond crime to wanting to legalize all drugs, to open the border, uh, to, to raising our taxes. I want Washington to be civil again. Fetterman is recovering from a recent stroke. He often stumbled over his words, took long pauses, and repeated himself in his answers. Although at times he says it's difficult to articulate his thoughts, he feels ready and able to serve. I believe that, again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. He dodged questions from moderators about releasing his health records for the sake of transparency. To me, for transparency is about showing up. On the topic of abortion, Oz says he supports exceptions for bans, but that ultimately each state should decide. There should not be involvement from the federal government in how states decide their abortion decisions. As a physician, I've been in the room when there's some difficult conversations happening. I don't want the federal government involved with that at all. Fetterman says he wants to fight to reestablish Roe v. Wade and codify it into law. And I've always believed that the choice belongs women and their doctors, and he believes that the choice should be with him or Republican legislators all across this nation. Regarding immigration, Oz says as the son of immigrants, he understands the challenges at the border and wants to address the crisis. The completely porous, open nature of our border, which John Fetterman supports, has created a humanitarian crisis with cartels profiting, with human trafficking operations. They take the money, they buy narcotics from China and bring that into our country, and it's making every state a border state. Pennsylvania is already a border state because we're top three in the country in fentanyl overdoses. Fetterman decried Republican governors for sending illegal immigrants out of their states, calling it a political stunt. I believe we have to develop a comprehensive and bipartisan solution to, to address our issue here. When asked what the biggest foreign threat to the U.S. is currently, Fetterman replied, China. 
I believe China is not our friend, and I believe that we can't be able to push back and we need to stand against China. Oz says the U.S. needs to send a strong message out to the rest of the world and can start by being energy independent. And the best way for America to establish its dominance is to unleash the energy here in Pennsylvania and across the country. Fetterman and Oz are vying to replace retiring Republican Senator Pat Toomey. The Senate is currently deadlocked at 50-50 with Vice President Kamala Harris having the tie-breaking vote. Democrats hope to flip seats in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Wisconsin to offset potential losses in Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Crime and abortion took center stage yesterday. New York Governor Kathy Hochul faced her Republican challenger, Congressman Lee Zeldin, in the campaign's only televised debate. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. You deserve better. That's the message U.S. Representative Lee Zeldin had for New Yorkers as he repeatedly steered the debate towards crime and public safety. I don't think that if you're two Mexican cartel drug smugglers busted with $1.2 million worth of crystal meth, that you should just be instantly released on cashless bail. We need to make our streets safe again. Zeldin says two paths have appeared before New Yorkers. We can continue with the status quo where they believe they haven't passed enough pro-criminal laws, or we could take control of our destiny and make sure law-abiding New Yorkers are in charge of our streets again. Governor Hochul says there's more to making the streets safe than just locking people up. There is no crime-fighting plan if it doesn't include guns, illegal guns, and you refuse to talk about how we can do so much more. I mean, we lost another child and a teacher yesterday in St. Louis because people will not support what I was able to get done here in New York, and that is a ban on assault weapons for teenagers. Zeldin, though, deflected Hochul's attempt to pivot towards gun legislation. Kathy Hochul believes that the only crimes that are being committed are these crimes with guns. And you, you have people who are afraid of being pushed in front of oncoming subway cars. They're being stabbed, beaten to death on the street with hammers. There are criminals out there who need to pay the consequences for their action instead of the catch-release policies that Kathy Hochul champions. The candidates then addressed abortion access. What we have in New York State is simply a codification of Roe v. Wade. And on the Supreme Court's recent overturning of the decision? granddaughter does not have the same right that I had to make a determination in concert with myself or my doctor if it's after the sixth month. For his part, Zeldin criticized Hochul's push to send millions to abortion providers to expand access for a predicted surge in out-of-state patients. I've heard from uh, New Yorkers who say that they don't want their tax dollars, for example, funding abortions for people who live, you know, 1,500 miles away from here. Hochul also frequently attacked Zeldin for his ties to former President Donald Trump. Meanwhile, Zeldin argued that opposition to natural gas extraction and new pipelines in New York is hurting the state's economy. After some polls showed Hochul ahead by more than 20 percentage points as recently as this summer, Quinnipiac University showed her leading now by just four points. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Two counties, one in Arizona, the other in Nevada, plan to count ballots by hand in the midterm elections. Cochise County in southeastern Arizona has voted for hand counting despite the county's attorney objecting. He says the Board of Supervisors are violating state law. Meanwhile, the top election leader in Nye County, Nevada, is also pushing ahead with a hand count of mail-in ballots. But officials there had to alter some of their plans. Nevada Supreme Court imposed several restrictions in response to a petition filed by the ACLU of Nevada. 
A main concern is keeping the vote totals from leaking publicly, which could influence voter turnout. A planned live stream of the vote count had to be scrapped. The county's actions may signal a strong distrust of voting machines and their accuracy, but critics say hand-counting thousands of ballots might not necessarily produce accurate results either. Moving on to another governor's race, Sarah Sanders is vowing to fight President Biden's policies if elected. She's the Republican nominee for Arkansas governor. The former White House press secretary addressed voters at a campaign event yesterday. Public polling shows Republican candidate Sarah Sanders leading by double digits. And she shattered fundraising records in the predominantly Republican state, saying the state is fired up and ready for a new generation of leadership. They're ready to make sure that we have somebody who is a fighter, that is capable of pushing back against the radical left and the crazy ideas that are coming out of Washington, because they sure got a lot of them. During her campaign, Sarah Sanders has mostly avoided the media, choosing rather to directly engage with voters of Arkansas. Her opponents in the November election are Democratic nominee Chris Jones and Libertarian nominee Ricky Dale Harrington. Jones, an ordained Baptist minister and nuclear engineer, cast his early ballot on Monday. We have a real race here, and the question is going to come down to, are Kansans coming out and choosing community over chaos? And I've been all across this state, and folks are ready to choose community over chaos. Early voting has already begun in Arkansas, and Election Day is on November 8th. In New York, a Supreme Court judge struck down New York City's vaccine mandate on Monday. He also ordered that employees who sued the city for being fired over vaccination status be reinstated with back pay. Over 2,000 city workers were fired for not getting a COVID-19 vaccine. The court in its ruling found that, quote, being vaccinated does not prevent an individual from contracting or transmitting COVID-19. He found the state acted erratically and arbitrarily. In his executive order, Mayor Eric Adams allowed exemptions for athletes and performers, but not first responders. The judge said Adams made a different decision for people in similar situations based on identical facts. He also noted that President Biden has declared the pandemic over and that New York ended its COVID-19 state of emergency over a month ago. The city said on Tuesday it is keeping the vaccine mandate for public workers in place, even after the judge ruled it unconstitutional. The city is also appealing the ruling. Immigration court judges have thrown out over 63,000 deportation cases over the last fiscal year. That's according to data obtained by research organization at Syracuse University. The organization tracks immigration court dockets. They found that one out of six cases was thrown out, mostly because Customs and Border Protection agents failed to file notice-to-appear documents on time. Without the filed notice, illegal immigrants are having their cases thrown out before they even step into a courtroom. The research organization says a decade ago this only happened in rare cases. Figures show the number rising exponentially after 2018 when it went from 0.3% to over 16% in 2022. The data was obtained through a series of Freedom of Information requests. And a group of progressive Democrats in Congress said yesterday it retracted a letter urging President Biden to engage in direct talks with Russia. That's after it triggered an uproar among Democrats and raised questions about the strength of the party's support for Ukraine. Representative Pramila Jayapal said the letter was drafted several months ago, but unfortunately was released by staff without vetting. 
The letter, signed by 30 caucus members, was made public on Monday and left some other Democrats feeling blindsided just two weeks before the midterm elections. Some, like Representative Sarah Jacobs, said they had signed the letter months earlier and that things had changed. She tweeted, timing and diplomacy is everything. I wouldn't sign it today. The letter called for Biden to combine the heavy economic and military support for Ukraine with a proactive diplomatic push. It's also called for redoubling efforts to seek a realistic framework for a ceasefire. Meanwhile, Russian forces are digging in for heavy battle in the strategic city of Kherson. The Kremlin is preparing to defend the city, which is the largest under its control in Ukraine. And now co coming to other news, a former U.S. military pilot and flight instructor who worked in China was arrested in Australia on Friday. He faces extradition to the United States. The federal police there were acting on a request from the United States. Daniel Duggan, a former U.S. citizen, was arrested in New South Wales. He appeared in court the same day and was denied bail. His next court appearance will be in Sydney in November to consider any bail application. The arrest came shortly after Britain warned dozens of former military pilots to stop working in China or face prosecution on national security grounds. But the details of the U.S. arrest warrant and the charges he faces are sealed. The U.K. says their military pilots, both current and former, are being lured into China with large compensations. There, they're asked to train the country's armed forces. And the UK Ministry of Defense said it believes that up to 30 former, British, 30 former British military pilots are currently providing training in China and that numerous others have been approached, including those currently serving in the military. And coming up, for the first time ever, scientists are experimenting with a fire study on a 100-acre canyon. The study will help determine how atmospheric conditions affect the spread of wildfires in canyons. And with hurricane season coming to an end and some areas already experiencing snowstorms and some power outages, we find out how households can stay prepared. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD Good Morning. Welcome back. University researchers in Cal Fire conducted a prescribed burn experiment on Monday. The university says it's the first time a canyon fire study of this magnitude has been undertaken. The groundbreaking California Canyon Fire experiment occurred on Monday afternoon on private property near the city of Salinas, California. Ready. They said that their test is done. They're ready. So let me call Bryce. They're going to ignite it. Are you guys ready for the ignition? Researchers with San Jose State University's Wildfire Interdisciplinary Research Center and five other organizations participated in the study. CAL FIRE was responsible for executing the prescribed burn. Yeah, my closest guys with yours up there. Okay. This is the first time we've been able to put all sorts of different instruments together and measure one fire in a canyon. University researchers and partners conducted their experiments using advanced on-site technology on the 100-acre canyon. And you yeah. can see it's sucking in. Yeah. We got it. Yeah. Dude, dude, dude. Oh my God. Look at that. Equipment included a helicopter equipped with SJSU's Wildfire Infrared Imaging System, which was recently deployed over the 77,000 acre Mosquito Fire. Other instruments included a truck mounted radar and LIDAR, 
also known as 3D laser scanning, a 106-foot tower with sensors and 3D anemometers, devices that measure wind speed and direction, and computer modeling and drone imaging and mapping. Dude, yeah, look yeah, at yeah, that. Yeah. Look at that. The technology allowed researchers to measure temperature, humidity, wind speed, and wind direction. According to SJSU, canyon geometry is known to be the most dangerous terrain type for wildfire. The data from this experiment will be used to uh, develop the next generation fire behavior models so we can predict extreme fire behavior and extreme wildfire in the future. Clemens says fire behavior in canyons is often characterized as explosive fire behavior, where the rate of spread increases exponentially as the fire progresses up the canyon, burning up the sidewalls. The university said the data will help determine how these atmospheric conditions affect wildfire spread in canyons. David Lamb, Entity News, California. The Atlantic hurricane season is coming to an end in November. At the same time, Michigan already experienced its first snowstorm along with some power outages. I asked an expert how households can prepare for emergency situations. Joining me now is Joe Reek. He's the VP of Sales at the Ready Alliance Group. It's good to have you, Joe. Hey, it's good to be on. Thank you for having me. Your company helps people become more or encourages people to become more self-reliant and prepared, especially during natural disasters, right? And I did see you guys were helping out Hurricane Ian victims as well with My Patriot Supply. So can you tell us more about what you did down in Florida? Yeah, so here at My Patriot Supply, we joined and partnered up with other organizations to help provide funds to, with the Hurricane Ian disaster relief. And together with our partners, we've donated over $1 million that we raised from our customers supporting those who were who fell victim to Hurricane Ian and for those who are going on with the uh, repair costs and just trying to get their lives back to normal. At My Patriot Supply, we are one of the largest long-term distributors of long-term emergency food here in the country. And so our customers, you know, whenever there's a need that happens here in the U.S., everybody kind of comes together to support the cause. And that's what our customers did. They came and they supported the victims of Hurricane Ian, and they did so in a very tremendous way. And we're so happy to be involved with that organization to be able to donate that money, but also help people kind of get their lives back by, you know, providing them with long-term emergency food, food that's healthy, that's nutritious, that's able to be prepared within minutes. Wow. And I mean, with winter storms coming, like in Upper Michigan, there where communities are actually already experiencing some power outages, how should households be prepared for those situations? Well, I think everybody needs to have some emergency food on hand. I mean, the Red Cross has come out and said that families need to have anywhere from two to maybe a month worth of groceries or worth of food inside of their homes. And that could be a variety of different things. Could be canned goods, could be our long-term emergency food that you see here in the background, long shelf life, shelf-stable items that you can have store away for those times of emergencies or disasters. Oh, okay, interesting. So three things that you would recommend people to have in their houses at all times? Well, I'm gonna break it down to you. You wanna make sure that you have shelter, warmth, and food. And so you wanna be able to make sure that you have things along those, along those points. Food having inside of your home, canned goods, food, things with a long shelf life. You know, our meals, they come with up to a 25 year shelf life. And all you have to do is simply add it to water and you're gonna have meals like spaghetti, pasta alfredo, chili macaroni, prepared within minutes that you can provide for you and your family. 
You need to have a way to be able to have some power. We have solar generators that can charge up cell phones that can provide you with a way to stay in contact to get news updates with your cell phone, as well as space heaters that don't require any power, but they run off of a, a kerosene that can heat up your home, especially right now because we are going to be coming into the cold season. And in fact, they're starting to ration out oil and gas and heat right now. So this is happening here in the United States, and we got to be ready for it. Very good advice. Thank you so much. Joe Reek with the Ready Alliance Group. I appreciate it. Thank you. Universal Beijing Resort announced new COVID measures today. Its Universal Studios theme park, CityWalk Shopping Zone, and two hotels will be temporarily closed. The company made the announcement on social media platform Weibo, saying the decision was made for epidemic prevention and control. The park did not say when exactly it would reopen again, but said to refund or reschedule tickets. The news comes amid a rise in COVID cases, although China has been following its strict zero-COVID policy. This is the second time this year that the theme park was forced to close its gates. Next, a hobby gardener trying to find out why his produce kept disappearing, then finding out he had a small intruder. We take a look at the special friendship that formed after the break. We're continuing the program with the story of a Delaware hobby gardener who was scratching his head because all the produce in his garden kept mysteriously disappearing. He discovered later that a little creature was to blame, but instead of trying to drive it away, he found a way to befriend it. Take a look at their unusual friendship. Jeff Permar from Middletown, Delaware loves to grow an organic vegetable garden each year to share with his friends and family. Around three and a half years ago, he started to see the fruits of his labor disappearing. Permar set up a motion detection camera and discovered that the culprit was a groundhog. Several attempts to stop the thief were unsuccessful. Eventually, he just began putting out food for them. But then as time went on, he was so cute in the camera. He was so cute and um, just, he was awesome. and. and just looked like he was just living his best life, so he eventually um, won my heart over, you know. He named the little creature Chunk. Soon Chunk would bring his girlfriend Nibbles to the garden too. To save on cost, Permar came up with the idea of building his tiny friends their own garden, which the groundhogs seemed to love. Since then, Chunk has become an online sensation. Yeah, so at first, um, when I had caught the groundhog initially and got the very first video of Chunk popping up in the camera, um, all of my friends uh, that, that saw it were like, wow, this is so funny, this is so cool, you should start posting this. And, um, and I just did, so I just started posting. And the reaction was great, like the fans were, were loving it. They were, uh, it, was, it was making them have like a better day if they were having a bad day. His first video, being caught in the act of chomping a cucumber, went viral on Facebook a few years ago and has attracted nearly a million fans. The experience has taught Permar the importance of coexisting with wildlife. You know, I, I'm probably gonna do this forever. <laughs> Jeff, who was also a guitarist, came up with a song about Chunk. 
He says that for his next endeavor, he would like to write a children's book. I love how he kept eating in front of the camera. It's almost like he was trying to tell you, hey, look at me, I'm eating your food. Oh yeah, he knew what he was doing, but dude, Chunk was such a cute one. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. And talk about that garden, that was nice. You know, I don't have one, but I put my cilantro and parsley in a cup of water and it keeps them fresh. Mm, that's a way too. On that note, uh, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you as always. Before you go, you can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. So shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.